0: This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700, your best insight into Utah Jazz Basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now, let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
1: Welcome into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy and I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz, so what that means is uh, ESPN has a website for every NBA team out there. We're the one for the Utah Jazz, have been since True Hoop started with ESPN, I don't know, like nearly a decade ago. I'm Andy Larson, Managing Editor, uh, alongside Ben Dowsett, our co-host, writer for Salt City Hoops, along with a whole bunch of other places around the internet blogosphere for basketball. We're excited to be with you today here on ESPN 700 for our first Salt City Hoop show.
2: This is so cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really
1: stoked that we're here. <laughs> um, so we, we're excited for the show. We've got a lot to talk about today because we're going to be previewing the Utah Jazz season. I mean, this is where we get to uh, decide, you know, which players are going to succeed this season, which players are not going to do so well. Uh, we're going to reveal our season win predictions for the Jazz that you all can use to make fun of us later. And uh, yeah, we'll have some fun of fun with it we'll also have uh dan clayton one of our salt city hoops writers on the show uh talking about the lottery vote that happened this week in the nba and uh jody genesee who is the beat writer the utah jazz beat writer for the deseret news on uh later in the show as well so exciting show hope you stay with us um yeah ben what do you have uh Guess we should go ahead and go ahead and start with yeah, the. Do, do, uh, you wanna,
2: do we want to get straight right into it? The, yeah. The first thing I have is go Broncos, but that, that, <laughs> that, that, that because that's happening right now. But anyway, yeah, no. So we are we're going to do a bunch of over unders, and uh, the ones that we're starting with are the ones from RotoWire, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, so basically, RotoWire.com is a uh, an NBA fantasy website dedicated to kind of giving those fantasy basketball experts, the ones that really really want to win their pool and win the ten dollar prize at the end. Um, you know, giving them the projections they need in order to succeed. So we are going to be using their numbers as the over-under totals, and then we'll we'll just say, you know, if Ben says thinks it's going to be over, say points per game, assists per game, and then I'll say under. We may use Jody as a tiebreaker in some of these arguments and, and have a good time with it.
2: I'm sure we'll agree on some of them too, if not a majority. Uh,
1: fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're too argumentative here. I like conflict. Okay. Uh, let's start with Derek Favors, though. So Derek Favors, obviously a big piece for the Utah Jazz next season. RotoWire has him projected at 14.2 points per game. First of all, what's your prediction on this before I, I go with mine? First of all, that's
2: a really good line. That's like almost right around where I'd have it <laughs> if it was me. But if I had to pick one, I'm going over. Uh, the I just think that Derek 1st of all, I think that Derek Favors is going to up his minutes a little bit from last year. Played about 32 minutes a game last season, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm— just trying to find that yep he played about no actually excuse me he played just about 30 minutes a game last season I think he's gonna up that I think he's gonna be playing 34 35 minutes a game and we will get into some minutes projections in just a little bit and I think that Derek has really improved several things in his offensive game we're seeing little flashes in the preseason of his post he finally seems to have not that he didn't realize this before but he finally seems to be putting it to the best use possible the fact that when he gets speed Moving towards the basket, he people can't stop him. There's really nothing guys can do, and he started realizing the pick and roll isn't the only place he can do that. He can get in the post on a guy, turn around, face him up, put the ball on the floor, and two steps in, you've got momentum to the hoop. And he's st- we've seen him start doing that a little bit more often in the preseason. And I think we're going to see a lot of it all year too. Whether or not he really ever develops like a awesome fundamental Big Al style post game, which of course he probably won't. I don't know that it's necessarily, for now at least, going to matter as much because his physical dominance is going to show itself.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this. So I'm also taking the over on Derek Favors' 14.2 points per game. Uh, truthfully, to me, it's two things. One, you're right about the minutes issue, and I think he does end up getting more than 30 minutes a game next season. Absolutely. I, I just think that that's uh, – you know he should be playing real starter-level NBA minutes, and it's not like the Jazz or the Spurs or anything where they want to save themselves for the playoffs – the Jazz want to put out their best players on the floor as much as possible.
2: Especially with the legs this young. There's just no need for that sort of thing.
1: Right. Um, and then the second thing is I think Quinn Snyder's system really helps Derek Favors. I mean, last year, Ty Corbin had him doing a lot of things out of the post, and a lot of post-ups. And in, in the end, he just kind of takes these uh, face-up 15-foot mid-range jumpers that, honestly, he's not very good at. That's just not his skill set. He shoots them at about a 30% rate.
2: Over-under on how many of those he takes this year, the whole year.
1: Like, oh, a lot. I, I think he still takes, like, 50. But I think 100. he's going to
2: cut it, like, really, really heavily. going to cut those sort of things out because they're just not part of the offense anymore.
1: You're right. No, I, and I I don't think they should be. I mean, you'd rather see those kind of shots go to a good mid-range shooter like an Enes or Trevor Booker. Uh, so, for me, that I think he goes to the basket a little bit more on pick and rolls, though, to make up for that. To me, I, I go also with the over on the 14.2 points per game. You know, it, not a whole lot over, like 15, 16, even 17 you could see. Um, but I just can't see him getting only 12 or 13 points per game next season
2: no I really don't see it I think there's going to be too many opportunities for him for easy buckets with all the jazz are doing we've talked about it all all, all preseason so far the stuff with the fast breaking which of course he won't always be involved with but the fast breaking the more motion oriented offense with getting everybody involved I think the jazz are going to be easy points is going to be one of the name of the names of the game this year and favors is going to be it's very easy for him when he's close to the basket so that's yeah. going to help
1: and again that's a big difference for the jazz this season uh, let's go on to the next one PTI style we, let's keep it moving. Boom. Um next one is Gordon Hayward, the the co-star with derek Favors on the Jazz if you will. This one's not points per game, but assists per game. A- A- Rotowire has him at 4.6 assists per game. I'm going to go with the under on this one. And oh, nice. the reason for that is I I don't think the ball's going to be in Gordon Hayward's hands as much as it was last year. I mean, Gordon Hayward was basically the point guard, the the co-facto co-point guards with Trey Burke last season just because Trey wasn't really quite ready to be the man all the time and honestly Gordon's a pretty good ball handler and creator on his own but that being said I think Quinn Snyder's new offense again is going to be more about ball movement it's going to be about sharing the ball you know we're going to see the ball in a whole lot of other players hands we're not going to see Gordon Hayward dribble the ball up the floor a lot of times
2: so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go the other side on this one. I'm gonna go the overall, though. I do again think this is a really good line and it's like pretty, <laughs> pretty dang close. Now he had 5.2 per game last year. So you are you're talking about last year and the way that it, the ways that it's likely gonna change, and I don't disagree about the way that Gordon's role is is very likely gonna change. He's not gonna essentially be a, a de facto second point guard. That's not gonna happen. That said, I do think that these sort of systems so for example we well, can use the Spurs as an example. The Spurs run the type of motion system that we're talking about. Where everybody's involved, all five players on the court, and they run like an 11-man rotation in the regular season, Where every yeah. and they get tons of guys involved. But year after year, we see a couple of guys over there who have significantly better numbers than the other guys because they're the most talented players and they're the best ones at running it. And, of course, Gordon Hayward is nowhere near being a Tim Duncan or a Tony Parker just yet, but... I do think that he is the best player on this roster currently, and I think he's made major improvements over the summer. And I think that his simple level of play is going to lead to him having more uh – at least as many assist opportunities as he did last year, and I believe the Jazz are going to convert those opportunities at a slightly higher rate than they did last year.
1: Okay, so you're saying that Gordon Hayward's going to be a better player overall than he was last season, and so as a result, his assist totals will go up as well.
2: Yes, despite the fact that I do agree with you that he's not going to necessarily be in pass-first situations as much as he might have been last year. I, I, And of course, the other thing that I'm factoring into this is that I think the Jazz's offense is going to be better than it was last year, and they're going to score more baskets, therefore more opportunities for assists.
1: No, that, make, that makes sense i'm i'm with you okay I, I i i mean you haven't convinced me let's let's not i'm not giving you the victory in here mark
2: that one down to talk to jody about yeah it let's
1: then. let's ask jody about that gordon hayward 4.6 assists per game more or less we'll, we'll find out i i i yeah i'm sticking with my under i'm sticking to my guns it's
2: and you know what like i said this one's close i don't have a problem going either. there are a few that we're going to get to that i feel pretty strongly
1: about this isn't one of them okay well let's talk about the next one then uh trey burke so we've kind of got two for him Uh, First of all, points per game is 14.7, Rotowire has them at, and they also have them at 1.9 turnovers per game.
2: You want me to go first on these ones? Yeah, you go first. Okay, so on the points per game, again, 14.7, I'm going under. Uh, And on the turnovers, the 1.9 turnovers, I'm going over. Now, those sound like negative assessments. They are not. I believe that—I've said this multiple times in my writing in the last few weeks—Trey Burke has been my most pleasant surprise from this preseason thus far. Physically, he looks excellent to me. His shooting form looks excellent. He looks incredibly confident. I'm really, really intrigued to see what he can do this year. That said, now we're going to be having Dan on in just a little bit. And on a podcast a few weeks ago, we discussed Dan's theme of passing turnovers and how passing turnovers can correlate actually to a good offense because teams that are creating those types of turnovers also tend to create easier baskets for themselves through all the passing that they do. I think that this is the direction the Jazz are trending in. I think Trey Burke this year is being told we want you to make some of these more difficult passes from t- not all. I mean, we don't want you passing into traffic, sure, but we want you taking some risks, pushing for these easy types of baskets. Again, taking some risks sounds like the wrong way to say it, but. For that reason, I believe that Trey is going to go slightly over his turnover number because I think that he's going to be pushing the ball more. He's going to be getting more involved, and he's not going to be playing it as safe as he was last year, which he did a pretty high percentage of the time last year, played it safe in a lot of
1: situations. He really did, and I I think it hurt the Jazz in a lot of cases where he would pass it you know, around the perimeter rather than making kind of that incisive pass right into the Exactly.
2: Middle. And you know what? Sure, if 1 in 10 times that incisive pass gets picked off, then that's bad. But if sev- several of those other times it leads to an easy layup or a dunk for someone like Favors, you're easily mitigating that value on the other end. I think that's what the type of thing that Quinn Snyder and his coaching staff are going to be telling Trey. And I think his, tur- his turnovers are going to go up... All- Despite him being a significantly better player, which I'm 100% sure he's going to
1: be. So, you said under on his points per game, though, even though you think he'd be, able to be a better player.
2: I did, and this one actually speaks more to
1: your last point
2: on Hayward, more about the sort of a little bit of the offense being more spread out to everybody. And okay. Trey's going to have, he's going to initiate the play in most cases when he's on the court, but he's going to have the onus of making the play happen on him far less often. And I just think he's going to shoot the ball a little bit less frequently. The offense is going to spread around a little bit more overall, and that uh, again, not by much. Like I, I don't see him only scoring seven points a game or something like that. I think he's right in that ten, eleven, twelve area.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I'm actually with you on both, so I, I'm just questioning you just to you know Devil's make advocate. you sweat a little bit. Devil's advocate. But I, I think you know we look at how the Jazz have performed this preseason, and they are turning the ball over like nobody's business mm-hmm. i mean i believe in four or five of the games so far and we've only had seven the jazz have had over 20 turnovers i mean that's that's not sustainable long term you know i don't think they're they'll th- average th- over 20 turnovers for the season but
2: they're third for the preseason in, in turnovers per 48 minutes
1: okay so that's you know that's a lot of turnovers yeah um guess i think is a lot of that guess who's, who's first? first la the spurs Wow, okay. So, you know, that's another proof. You can have good offense despite having a lot of turnovers. I'm, I'm cherry-picking my stats, Philadelphia's second. <laughs> <laughs> you can also have a bad offense despite having a lot of turnovers. Yeah, I, I— We've learned nothing. Yeah, exactly. No, and you know
2: what? I do think the Jazz are going to continue having a lot more turnovers this year than last year, but exactly a long dance point from that piece of his a couple weeks ago, I think their offense is going to be better.
1: Yeah, I, I'm i with you. I I agree. Um. Okay, so let's go to Dante Exum minute, minutes per game. Uh, obviously, Dante Exum, third pick in the draft. Uh, sorry, Xenopus. fifth pick in the draft.
2: It's pronounced Xenopus.
1: This is from his sorry. Foot Locker commercial, I couldn't right? help myself. I had I'm to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Dan on, and then you guys can just say Xenopus over and over again. <laughs> um, so anyway, fifth pick in the draft last season. Obviously, kind of the the star of the future is what the Jazz hope I liked how Zach Lowe described him earlier as the Jazz's high variance guy. You know, mm-hmm. you could see his career going either really well and, you know, him being a all-star level player that absolutely takes the Jazz to the next step into the playoffs and beyond. Or you can see him fizzling out and, you know, being a, a bench Almost like a Leandro Barbosa kind of type, right?
2: Zach was the more reasonable point of view, while Simmons was, after a week ago, being like, "I think this guy might suck." Being like, "This looks like Kobe Bryant." So, <laughs> so there we go. A little bit more of a balanced view. Balanced.
1: Yeah, viewpoint. Zach just thinks either could happen, and yeah. and Bill Simmons just kind of switches back and forth yeah. depending on the weather. Um, <laughs> anyway, his. His Roto-Wire uh, minutes per game total is 27.5. So do you think he gets more than 27.5 minutes or less than? I guess I'll start. It's it's my turn. I think he gets drastically less than 27.5 minutes per game. Tell uh, me why, Andy. I just see I, – I don't see him being good enough at a nine, at 19 years old to be playing that much in the NBA. I mean, I, I think we've seen kind of his limitations this far. He's, he's going to be turning the ball over a lot. Um, he doesn't have the shooting stroke that you know Trey Burke and and really the rest of the roster really that he should have. Uh, and uh, you know what does he give you on the court at this point? You know if he, if you're trying to win games in the regular season, is Dante Exum's rookie year at age nineteen is he really helping you?
2: I think you're selling him a tad short defensively. I will say. And, as a rookie, and that, though? Which, I mean, uh, no, I know. And I know like nearly every rookie is a net negative defensively. And I'm, I'm right. taking that in mind. I'm not saying he's going to be like a positive defender He's like, for the whole NBA. But for a rookie and for a young player, of which the Jazz have many, as we have noticed— I do think he's going to be at least a reasonable defender, which, again, does differ from what things looked like when he came in because his draft profile was like, this guy's going to be a terrible defender to start out. I don't think that's the case. I think guys are already starting to have some trouble with his length and how fast he is. Sure, Now, of course, when they put him off the ball in any situations, when they run him through a bunch of screens, things like that, he's going to have trouble, there's no question. That's going to be tough. It's 19, body hasn't filled out yet, all that sort of stuff. But I think he's going to actually add – a little bit more defensively than we think, and I don't think that stroke, that shooting stroke, is as bad as we may have thought it was.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's terrible. But the, so the other thing is, I, you don't think he's going to be in the starting lineup, right? No. Okay, so he's de facto point guard, backup point guard, and the kind of backup shooting guard too, right? But if Trey Burke and Alec Burks play, you know, thirty-five minutes a game each. That doesn't add up to 27 and a half minutes for Dante Exum, even if he gets all of the backup point guard and backup shooting guard minutes. And that ignores, you know, like Rodney Hood playing some minutes at shooting guard, Carrick Felix, Torrey Murray. I mean, all these guys hey, who we're- are going to get some time at backup point guard, right? Yeah. Or Or sh- shooting guard.
2: Yeah. You know, and so I'm going to say now, I did take the over on this. You're making me feel worse and worse about it as we yes. go along here. But I-, I did take the over. Here's the one other thing that I did want to bring up. And of course... This could go the other way, but I I guess him being a couple years younger, it's slightly less likely if either of those guys ahead of him gets injured for any reasonable period of time, then you could very well expect him to not only beat that average, but to drastically beat that average during those periods of time, which you do have to factor in. That's true. Uh, Only a small degree, though, because, of course, we can't predict injuries.
1: Well, yeah, but I I mean, I think we can safely predict that Trey Burke and Alec Burks are not going to be healthy the whole season. I mean, you know, you just don't see guys playing 82 games all that frequently in the NBA anymore. And so I, I think that's a fair point yeah but it, it's going to be difficult in my mind for him to get to that twenty half. and a half
2: i'm honestly li- i'm not saying that i've to- but we that i've totally come around but we don't have to give jody this one like i okay. I'm, I'm closer to your side than you have been to mine on previous ones I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say that much okay good i I'm
1: glad that my debating skills have taken in
2: but I think the possibility is there
1: okay. i I really think that he okay. that he could that's fair. I, I'm, I'm with you. Just reset. This is a Salt City Hoops radio show. I'm Andy Larson. Ben Dowsett is the wrong is the guy who's wrong say the over wrong there. Oh, the, no, I was just saying that your opinions are wrong. Uh. Sorry. <laughs> I hope you're not too offended. Oh, it's okay. Um, okay, so moving on. We're doing over-unders. Rudy Gobert, and of course, the stat we chose for him is blocks per game. Of course we did. You know, really, he's not really contributing in points, for example.
2: He dunks the ball very well.
1: He does. We should give him that, I guess. Uh, Anyway, his Roto-Wire blocks per game is 1.7 blocks per game. Ben, over under.
2: I took the under. Written on my little notes next to the word under is the word meh. (laughs) Because I'm just... If Rudy Gobert gets 25 minutes a night, he's going over on this, no question. I just don't think that he will.
1: How can he? I mean, you look at the Jazz big rotation. First of all, Rudy Gobert can only play center. We agree on this, oh, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you can't have him playing power forwards in the league, or he'll get just blown by. Um, so then that means he's taking backup center minutes from Derek Favors.
2: Let me just clarify real quick. I remain of the opinion that Derek Favors does not have to be pigeonholed as a center in the NBA, and that
1: those two will play together significantly. Okay, to but even even if you do think center, even if you think. Derek Favors can play power forward, you also have to look at the minutes for how is Trevor Booker going to get minutes? Mm. How is Steve Novak going to get minutes? How is Ennis Cantor, who, by the way, this is like his big year to shine. This is his put up or shut up year, as we said last week. Mm. Uh, when, you know, how are you going to find time for all those guys? Because I don't think any of them can play small forward. No. So you've got 96 minutes to give to Derek Favors, Ennis Cantor, Trevor Booker, Steve Novak, and Rudy Gobert. Uh, there's just no way to play him more than twenty minutes a game. I don't think. For the
2: most part, I generally agree with you there. I don't. I think he's going to have trouble cracking twenty. One thing I will say is I don't. Think, and we'll get to this in the minutes projections later potentially. Is I don't think Novak's going to play all that much. But that's just me. The the it's, the defense is too. bad. It's hard to find time for him. It's really tough, and unfortunately, Jeremy Evans is in the same boat. I don't know how much time Evans is going to be seeing this year. Um, which is too bad. I love him, but um, I, I know I agree, and this is why I did take the under. But but with the meh because. <laughs> If Rudy some you know, if like we said before, if an injury were to happen, or if the may who knows, if a trade were to happen, you never know if something like that might go down. Or if Rudy just continues lighting up the building like he has been doing all summer, of course he's gotta do it against a much tougher level of competition and with much more consistency now. But if he does those types of things and just essentially makes it impossible not to play him more, then there's no way he's not getting over this. Yeah,
1: uh, let me ask you a quick non sequitur. I guess it is related, but Rudy Gobert or Enes Kanter? Who's had the best preseason? Uh,
2: I guess Rudy Gobert relative to expectations. Oh, not relative to Not relative to expectations. To expectations. Overall, Enes Kanter by a lot. Okay. And, and I think that's an issue that, that folks shouldn't confuse, is that— Yes, Gobert has been very, very exciting. And compared to where we thought he'd be at this point, he's probably a little further ahead than Cantor than where we thought Cantor was going to be at this point. But Ennis Cantor is a way, way better basketball player right now, guys. He brings way more on the court.
1: See, I, I think he brings more offensively, but I the, the thing that even lets me raise that question is that when I watch Ennis Cantor play defense, it's the complete opposite opposite of where when I watch Rudy Gobert play defense.
2: Oh, very true. Rudy's a much, much more impactful defender, but... Cantor remains a seven-foot body who's still out there, which even when he's doing terrible things is going to do something defensively. And I know that that doesn't mitigate it a whole lot, but then on the other end, his levels of usefulness offensively. and, And now I will accept he's had some issues so far with adjusting to the new motion system. Some of his spacing hasn't been perfect instead of hanging out in the corners for those threes like he's supposed to. He's kind of been hanging out on the inside baseline every now and then. You don't like to see stuff like that. Give him a little bit of time. It's in, like he's, what, his third or fourth new system in like seven years of playing basketball. So he'll, I at least have hope that he'll come around. I don't want to say for sure, but I have hope that he will.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And I, I think that's honestly one of the biggest questions to watch the, the during this season for the Jazz is where Ennis Cantor comes. It's kind in of, of a, season.
2: it's a make or break year for him, no it question.
1: Is. Um, Speaking of Ennis Kanter, he's our next over-under, so it oh, yeah. segues into it. Uh, Ennis cantor rebounds per game that's kind of the one stat we haven't talked about thus far. Nine point four rebounds per game for him am i is are you first on this one or am I'll I first be first on, on, on it one? sure okay. um so I'm going under on this one and and the reason is is because uh, i mean if Ennis cantor was a rebounder like he was in his rookie season when literally that that was his basketball skill. That was the thing that was keeping him on the floor. That was the thing that I think Jazz fans and you know analysts like David Locke and myself uh, were most excited about is that this guy looks like an elite rebounder in the NBA. Especially then,
2: offensively. He was crazy offensively. Yeah,
1: rebounder. I mean, putting up numbers that really we haven't seen in Jazzland for a long, long time.
2: He had nearly five offensive rebounds per 36 minutes in that rookie season. That's so many. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: So anyway... Uh, But since then, though, his rebound percentage, so for you non-stats nerds out there, and and I don't blame you, um, this is the percentage of shots that the player gets uh, off the the defensive glass. So opponent takes a shot. What percentage of rebounds does this guy get? First season was 18. Next season was 16.5. Last season was 16.1. In other words, he's regressed as a rebounder, even though he's gone from 19 to 20 to 21 years old and by the way has you know as a more muscular body you know has a has a better nba body i think
2: and it's because he's playing against nba starters now rather than playing against their backups
1: yeah i i think it's i don't see any way he gets to 9.4 then you add in and you know going on a second point on the offensive side he's going to be playing power forward primarily this season and you know that's what he's listed at that's where we've seen him play this preseason He's just not going to be in position to get those offensive rebounds like he did in the first couple of years of. Plus, career.
2: I plus I just don't think the Jazz are making as much of an emphasis on the offensive rebounds. I think that's that the, I think the Jazz are going to be not Spurs style completely punting them, but I think Quinn has emphasized in their heads: if you go for an offensive rebound, one of two things better happen: either a) you better get that rebound, or b) you better land and get back before your guy does, or else it's going to be trouble. Like I, I, and maybe he's not as blunt about it as I just was, <laughs> but
1: I agree. no, he's more blunt. Like I, I mean, so. The- Jazz PR lets us watch the last five minutes of practice like the rest of the media does. And, uh, and Quinn Snyder, he is a very nice man when you interview him. But to the players, he, I mean, he. let's be clear, he's developing relationships, but he's not afraid to get on them a little bit when Good. accountability needs to be set. Good. Um, I mean, the thing we've seen this most is in this transition defense push by mm-hmm. Quinn Snyder. Yep. But clearly, Quinn Snyder is a man who believes in accountability, believes in that's the way that the Jazz are going to improve on offense defense and rebounding he's not afraid to let guys know if they're not doing well
2: exactly and for that reason among many others i agree with you on Cantor. i do think that he's unfortunately going to go under it looks like we got to take a break here for a second uh is that right
1: yes so yeah let's go ahead and take a break this is the salt city hoops show on espn 700
0: sunday on conference media Network coverage of the nfl the oakland raiders head east to cleveland in search of their first win against the browns Hi, this is Tim Case. Joining Greg Papa, Tom Flores, and Lincoln Kennedy for all the action. Can the Raiders head into the dog pound and get a win? Or will Brian Hoyer and the Browns offense be too much for the silver and black? It's the Raiders and the Browns. If it's the NFL, it's right here. Game time is Sunday afternoon at 225 right here on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. It's the Big 4-0 for Snow West Magazine, and you get the gifts. Come and get them at the Intermountain Snowmobile Show on October 24th and 25th at the Salt Lake County Event Center in South Jordan. Over $40,000 in prizes and giveaways, all to say thank you for 40 years of Snow West Magazine. Giveaways and prizes include snowmobile trips, accessories, two Arctic cats, motor fist gear, and more. Don't miss this spectacular one-of-a-kind event with over 100 exhibitors from retail sales to aftermarket parts, Accessories, gear, resorts, trailers, the Snow West Project sled and snow bike build. Even how-to seminars, kids' corner with kids' activities, and the swap meet on both days. Tickets available online at www.intermountainshow.com. Buy there and save a buck per ticket. This year's show is sponsored by Allstate Insurance, Snow West Magazine, Utah Snowmobile Association, Western Power Sports, Arctic Cat, Power Sports Adventures, Motor Fist, and Ultimax Bell. The Intermountain Snowmobile Show on October twenty. 20- Fourth and 25th it's third down and six but that doesn't matter much anymore with only four seconds to go the cougars are down by five it's do or die at the 16 yard line the game hinges on this play here comes the snap blitz coming from the field side He's- are there any worse words than quote buffering or loading when you think reliability and internet think Digis broadband Digis provides reliable, high-speed service that can keep pace with the excitement of the football season. With internet from Digis Broadband, you can stream your favorite TV shows, sporting events, and movies. Plus, when you call now, you can try Digis for one month free. That's a free month of internet just for choosing Digis Broadband. But this offer is for a limited time only, so call now.
2: Call Digis Broadband for details now at 801-931-6620. That's 801-931-6620.
0: Big Daddy's Pizza offers made from scratch, ready to go, take out pizza starting at just five bucks. Find out more about Big Daddy's Pizza online at bigdaddy'spizza.com. That's BigDaddy'sPizza.com. Have you played 60 today? If so, refuel with chocolate milk. Play 60 was created in partnership with the NFL and the National Dairy Council to promote youth activity and proper nutrition. To bring fuel up to Play 60 to your school, go to com.
3: At WGU, you won't find pep rallies and frat houses. What you will find is the nation's leading nonprofit online university. Since 1999, WGU has focused on helping working adults finish their degrees and further their careers. Our competency-based online programs let you learn at your own pace, saving you time and money. And with bachelor's and master's programs in business, education, IT, and nursing, you'll have a degree that you can really use. This is who we are, Western Governors University. Get the full
0: story at wgu.edu.
3: Look at this crazy man selling furnace tune-ups this time of year. The bottom line is our furnaces need to be tuned up once a year by a licensed HVAC contractor. It lasts for 12 months, and frankly, I need to keep my guys busy. So if you call right now, you'll get the world's most amazing furnace tune-up ever for just $49 instead of $149. This is not a feather dusting. Oh, no. We completely disassemble your furnace and precisely tune it up to exacting standards. It will operate more efficiently. It will not break down and it will last for at least another year, or our service is free. I'm Kent Whipple with Whipple Service Champions Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, and I personally guarantee your 100% satisfaction, or you don't pay. For just $49, if you call right now, you get our wow tune-up. Call 877-WHIPPLE. That's 877-W-H-I-P-P-L-E. Because when you call today, we come today.
4: Whipple, they come. Plumbing troubles are gone.
0: You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
1: All right. Welcome back in, everyone, to the Salt City Hoop show. My name's Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. We're the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Alongside Ben Dowsett here, we're bringing you Utah Jazz and NBA talk every Thursday from 7 to 9 p.m. on ESPN 700 throughout the basketball season. So we're excited for that. First show today. Excited. So, yeah um we've got dan clayton on the line before we bring him in i want to just do two things um first of all you can follow me on twitter at andy b larson you can follow ben on twitter at ben underscore dowsett we're always happy to uh read your tweets on air get kind of the social media aspect involved and um as well as take your calls um speaking of taking calls we've got dan clayton waiting he wrote a great post today on the Jazz Lottery, and in particular, the NBA voted this week uh, to n- refuse these pro- projected lottery changes uh, that, that that they were considering, kind of the anti-Philadelphia 76ers rules.
4: Dan, are you there? Hey, how's it going? And by the way, is it, I thought it was Andy Blarson. That- <laughs> Andy Blarsen.
2: That- Your last name isn't Blarsen? Uh, uh. I've been doing this wrong the whole time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's why
4: we have a. That's why we have a radio show to straighten these things out. And by the way, your uh, your Strippergram congratulatory, you know, first radio show Strippergram should be showing up anytime now. So
1: we'll be watching for it. Although I don't know if okay. it's a good idea to let them on the air. You sent yeah, it. To the, you
0: sent
2: it to the station, right? Not to his house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway. You had a great post, like I was saying, on this uh, lottery thing and, and why the Jazz voted against allowing these lottery changes to, to um, happen. So first of all, describe to people what these lottery changes would have consisted of and then why, why did the Jazz vote against it?
4: Well, right now the easiest way to get a, a, a top pick in the draft is to be really bad and a little lucky and they wanted to make it, several NBA owners and the NBA wanted to make it so that to get a top pick, you had to be a little bad and really lucky. So so basically the the proposed changes were to put a little more adventure in there and make really the top six picks up for grabs instead of the top three and change the percentages so that they were pretty flat, you know, through the top, uh, especially the top four or five picks, but even into six, seven, eight, Um, you know, really create some adventure so that there wasn't such a a reward for being a Philadelphia or for being a, um, you know, 1998 San Antonio Spurs team. Basically, they wanted to, you know, make it a little harder to just like be awful on your way to a top pick. So under and, uh, their
1: proposal, um the top 4 teams would have had an equal chance at getting that top number 1 pick. And really the top 5, it's a half percentage point difference for the top 5. So yep. there's no advantage then in in losing more games if you're, you know, if you're already the Philadelphia 76ers, there's no advantage in being a 15 win team compared to say a 25 win team.
4: Right, so basically you would want to be bad, but you, you, there would be no motivation to be like horribly historically bad, which is, I guess, what they were trying uh, to avoid. Um, really, I mean, that's what it comes down to. The lottery system right now incentivizes bad basketball, and I think what they're trying to do is make it so that that incentive isn't so direct. You know, hey, if you lose 70 games or 60 games, you're probably going to come away from the NBA draft with an Andrew Wiggins or with a Jabari Parker um, or a Dante Axum. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, you know, even the Jazz, actually the Jazz are kind of exhibit A for the argument of like Chris Mannix, who writes for SI, and he's kind of of the opinion that we don't really have to fix anything, because there's enough adventure in the draft lottery already, you see teams like this year, the Cavs jump up from the ninth spot all the way to the top overall pick, and you see the Jazz, who were pretty terrible for most of the season, um, actually backslide to the fifth pick and still get a guy they liked, but... Uh, Manix's point is that, hey, maybe it's not as broken as we all think.
2: And then at the same time, some of the proposed changes would, in a way, which I think you did mention in your piece, and if you didn't, I know Zach Lowe did in his piece on Grantland, was the, the in in some ways, this is just changing the tanking threshold to a different area. So, for example, if was that you that mentioned it, or Zach? I confuse your guys' writing because it's so similar.
4: I, I, uh, well, I'm <laughs> flattered that you'd say that, first of all. Um, I, I've said that many times. I think I think any changes to lottery, um, look, the lottery and and the NBA personnel landscape overall, it's it's just, it's its own little economy, right? And any economy has its incentives, and and really what you do is you just sort of change the tipping point at which tanking makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what this change might have done is encourage teams that were going to be you know, 10th worst to try to be 5th worst. So, you know, there's always going to be some point at which you say, hey, our best chance at bettering our franchise is going to be to lose a few more games. And I think that's what the NBA is trying to avoid, but that's going to be a tough balance to strike.
1: So we're here on with Dan Clayton, one of our Salt City Hoops writers. You can read his work at saltcityhoops.com. He's actually right now the featured article on our site. (laughs) <laughs> I want to ask? So, given that you know why, why, was it that the Jazz voted against these changes? Is it that they felt that they would be, you know, one of the worst teams in the league next season, or you know, what what's the idea that they're thinking? Are they thinking long term?
4: Yeah, great question. I think there are basically two reasons why someone would want to vote down these reforms. Number one is the reason Philly did. Philly has purposely, openly, and brazenly. Sort of announced to the NBA universe that they plan to be really bad again. They, uh, getting another high pick is a big part of their rebuilding plan. And, and then maybe all these guys like Joel Embiid and Dario Saric and, and all these, all these picks that aren't quite ready for a number of different reasons, maybe they can all kind of come into their own all at the same time when you can add an Okafor or an Emmanuel Mugier to the mix. So that's one reason is that you legitimately think you're going to be one of the three or four worst teams in the NBA, and this proposed lottery reform is going to worsen your chances at a top pick. I don't think that's the Jazz's reason. I was going to say, I don't
2: think the Jazz think they're going to be that this year, do they?
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. And it's hard to know because everybody talks a certain way in the preseason, right? But they just don't talk, and they're certainly not playing like a team that's content to sort of just go through the motions for another 82 games. And, and be happy with what's on the other end of that. Now let's be clear. I'm not, I don't think they're going to be great this year. I think they might surprise some people, but, but I think they're going to go out there and try to win. So if you're aiming for six, seven, eight, you know, that type of a slot, then, then you would vote for these proposed lottery changes unless you were looking beyond this year. And I think that's what it comes down to. I think that teams like the Jazz and like Oklahoma City voted this down, not because of the immediate term need and and the immediate term outlook of of their pick situation, but because, um, you know, small market teams are getting really nervous. There are a lot of changes happening right now, all at the same time. And the reality is that that has been, if you look at small market teams that have contended for titles, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, all those teams included, most of them have done it because of a, a guy they landed after a rough season when they wound up with a top three pick.
2: Now, here's here's my issue with that, and here's why I maybe slightly disagree with the with the Jazz's decision to vote no there, especially if, as you're kind of alluding to there, they do feel in-house that they are not comfortable with being one of these so-called tanking teams, and that they're not planning to be in the bottom three or four teams in the lottery this year. If it, if we are looking at a Jazz team that could have been somewhere between that five to eight, nine, ten range in a lottery this year. I think it may have been the wrong call when you also consider how frequently the NBA sort of changes its rules around. The, the NBA, mm, around once a decade, maybe even sometimes a little more often, has large issues like this and they change the, the, the general rules of the league. Who, how do we know where we're going to be in a decade, is my idea. A decade ago from now, we would have probably had no idea certain areas that the league would be at right now. And if we're essentially focusing on the next rebuild long term, like the next time the Jazz need to be rebuilt, it going to be really hard for them because the lottery is a little bit more even i don't know if that's the right way to think about it we're within a rebuild now that is hopefully going to take the team through through to 2020 i would hope if not at least a little bit longer right and with that being the case i'm not sure if they wouldn't have maybe especially with a team that very well could be in that sort of mid lottery area maybe this year but definitely something like next year thinking there's a chance that maybe they should have done something a little different there what do you think there dan
4: well, first of all, I, I think that might overstate a little bit how often this particular lottery system changes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, this lottery has been in place since you know the the Pat Ewing lottery. So, so we're talking about you know close to thirty years now, anyway. Um, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think it, the moral of the story is this: it's really hard to predict where your team is going to be in six months, let alone in several years and then when you factor in you know lottery odds and who's worse and who chose that year to tank also and you know like it it gets really complex and uh, you know nobody has any idea where the Jazz are going to be picking in 2025 and and I think what it comes down to is that several teams you know those those 13 teams Philly Oklahoma City Utah and 10 others looked at all that ambiguity and just got freaked out because the financial realities of owning an NBA team are about to change drastically with the new TV deal and a higher cap. Free agency is going to change. You know, the landscape for free agency is going to change. Um, how many teams have cap room? How cap room gets used? Um, payrolls are about to go through the roof. I, I think there's just so much craziness right now that that I think the difficulty of forecasting that you're talking about, Ben, was actually what spooked some people, not Not what gave them faith to say, ah, you know, like, let's just jump in and we'll figure it out as we go. And if we have to tweak it again in five years, we'll tweak it again in five years. Fair.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that makes sense. All right, Dan, well, we're out of time for this segment, but thanks for joining us. Oh, by the way, you can also read, uh, you've got some projected, some ideas for lottery reforms on that article as well. So, you know, if this one's not going to work out, what are some other ideas we could use to, you know, maybe deal with this tanking problem but still get, kind of the best players to the worst teams you know, in in the fairest possible way. <laughs> so go ahead and check that out on the site. Dan, thanks again for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good show. And you can follow Dan also on Twitter at, at Dan Clayton, but with the O replaced by a zero.
1: Yeah. So he's now, um, you know, I, I I thought that was a really good article, though, by Dan. Very good. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would encourage you all to check it out. Um, continues uh, his recent streak of putting me to shame with some really <laughs> good articles. It, it's, it's a really interesting piece to see where the NBA is right now. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and take another break. We'll come back on the other side with a projected rotation with the starting lineups and uh, how many minutes the bench guys will be getting on the Utah Jazz next season. This is the Salt City Hoops
0: radio show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.
1: All right, we are indeed talking Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA. My name is Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett. We're here with Salt City Hoops. So first of all, I wanted to bring in some news from around the world of the NBA. And in particular, today it was reported by Kevin Ding of Bleacher Report uh, that Steve Nash will be out for the entire 2014-15 NBA season due to the nerve issues in his back that caused him to miss many, many games last season. Uh, which
2: really could be the end of the line for him, which is pretty. It sad.
1: really. Sh- I, he's forty years old, and you know the basically there like I've read the stat somewhere, so I'm I'm making up the numbers here, but there have been something like a hundred and thirty-two minutes played by forty-year-old guards, and like eighty-two of them are by John Stockton. Wow. So, given that he is a non non John Stockton point guard, it, the, it was always going to be rough for him.
2: That's too bad. Uh, that know. being
1: said, Steve Nash might be the closest thing to John Stockton. We've Plus he seen played, in since f- Stockton. played in Phoenix
2: with that superhuman training staff. You never know. But, yeah, condolences, Steve. That's that's really too bad. It's, um, it may not impact the Lakers all that much, but one of the all-time greats. And a Canadian, I identify with those. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry to hear about that, Steve.
1: I'm glad that you don't have the Canadian accent. Eh? Maybe you do. Maybe we just need to coax it out of you. <laughs> I also like, by the way, while we're on off-topic, um, your apparently your girlfriend is sitting around the the kitchen counter with her entire family listening to the show. So do you feel
2: do you feel pressure, Ben? If my if the tweet I just or the tweet the text I just rele- uh, just received is to be believed, that is the case. What's up, guys? Hope you're liking what you hear. Um, <laughs> I'm glad
1: we could embarrass them too. So oh, okay, man. <laughs> I, I want to get into just while we've got the short little segment, I want to ask you about. Uh, yeah, the, the, some specific rotation questions for the Jazz. And in particular, we, we did this rotation exercise where, you know, it's really easy to say X player should get X number of minutes per game. But it's really actually kind of difficult to do that with all the different moving pieces on the Jazz. So, you know, you may want to say that Trevor Booker deserves 20 minutes per game and Steve Novak deserves, say, 15 minutes per game. But given that, you know, Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, and Enes Cantor also exist, it's really difficult to make that happen. So I wanna, we both did this rotation exercise, actually planned out you know, when Quinn Snyder should or could make these substitutions to get to your totals. And I want to ask you a couple questions. So first of all, that Trevor Booker, Steve Novak question. Who do you have playing more minutes, and, and how many minutes for each guy do you have?
2: I have Booker playing significantly more minutes. I, in fact, my projection that I ended up coming with is double I oh. have I have Booker playing twenty minutes or maybe just short of twenty minutes a game and play and Novak at just ten or just short of ten. I just don't. I, I do like Steve Novak. I think he's going to be a really good bench guy. He's going to bring a bunch of veteran leadership. But I just the the Jazz defensively when he plays are not. It's not going to work. He's just they just can't do it. And especially him playing with second units that are already going to contain guys like Exum, who although I did speak about how his defense was probably going to be better before, it's still not going to be great. Hood guys like that. You just can't have those kind of—even if he plays with Gobert, I don't see it happening too much, mostly for that reason. And I think Booker's been a real nice piece who's going to fit really well with the rest of the Jazz bigs, and that's why I see him playing a lot more minutes.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, again, feigned questioning you, but I'm, I'm with you on this. I actually have Steve Novak playing even fewer minutes than that. I have him yeah. playing about eight minutes per game. Um, and then Gobert—or, uh, sorry, Trevor Booker, I also have playing fewer minutes than that. I have him playing about 15 that wouldn't shock me either. Um, I may have overdone and so to illustrate your point about how this
2: is a good exercise to do, the first time I went through it, I after I went through it I added up my numbers at the end and I was at like 370, which that doesn't work. You need to be at 240.
1: Like, yeah, so each each position playing 48 minutes per game.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now you of course you can leave room with your total overall numbers for injuries like we said before. So you don't just have to be right at 240. You got to be you got to be higher than that. But the um yeah, I think that, and I have Gobert
1: higher than Booker. Do you? I do too. Yeah. No, I have him um, playing actually eighteen minutes per game. So okay. again, not a whole lot more than Booker, but I, I think he adds more defensively. And honestly, he gives the Jazz something that they can't get from anywhere else. Like mm-hmm. Trevor Booker, you can get his, you can get his rebounding and and kind of mid range shooting, the the kind of feistiness down low that Trevor Booker brings. I think you can get a lot of that from NS Kanter. Um, At least a portion of it, yeah. And I think you can get a lot of it from Derek Favors, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't think you get Rudy Gobert's length and defensive ability really anywhere else on the roster. And I I think Derek Favors is the one who comes closest. But still, Rudy Gobert has you know seven inches of arm length on Derek Favors, and you know there I would say Rudy Gobert is a little bit less athletic than Favors is. But I I think Rudy Gobert is the one player on this roster that's kind of that defensive specialist. That it's if Quinn Snyder needs to lock somebody down or needs to prevent those kind of bucket paints from happening, uh, bucket points, sorry, from happening, Rudy Gobert's the guy to go to.
2: Yeah, that's that's part of the reason why I think that he may play like what we were talking about before. He may go over that blocks projection because he may just be on the court more than we think. But, but transitioning a little, what about the rookies? Okay, the, the two. So we got Rodney Hood. We got Dante Axum. Who do you think plays more minutes per game?
1: I do think Dante Exum plays a few more minutes. By I, a lot or just by a little bit? By a little bit. I, I mean, the truth is, I think there are more minutes available on the wings than there are at point guard, just because, well, there are two wing positions. I, I think Dante Exum, first of all, I, when I watch his game, I see much more of a point guard than a, than a shooting guard. Yep. And, and the Phoenix Suns have shown us that you can be really successful with these two point guard lineups, so maybe I shouldn't read too much into that. But I see Rodney Hood as kind of the primary backup option for both shooting guard and small forward at this point.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't. I definitely don't think Ian Clark is taking either of those from him. I think he's the yeah the de facto backup for either of those. There, there's going to be now. Of course, there's going to be a ton of mix and matching in both directions here. Like in every direction, the Quinn Snyder's going. I think he's going to be willing to play around with his lineups a lot, do a lot of different things. I agree. I actually had it as a slightly larger gap, like nearly like an eight minute gap or so uh, per game between the two, just because. I really think the Jazz, whether or not they're any good this season, are going to really want to get Dante out there a lot and give him the chance. And Rodney's already a little more developed in, certain, in terms of some of his NBA skills, as we've noted. I think the Jazz want to give Dante as much time on that NBA court as he can, even if it, most of it is some painful learning experiences.
1: Yeah, no, I think that absolutely makes sense for the Jazz long-term to do. I also think that it's very difficult as a coach to actually do that, right? I mean, it, it's uh, you want to win games as a coach. And, you know, we've seen Quinn Snyder's faces, Thus far, this so season. awesome
2: that devil face that somebody <laughs> memed the other day was just awesome, right?
1: All <laughs> oh, right, it really is. And I, I, don't see that man who's make is capable of making that face to be like, eh, let's let Dante Axon play because it's it's his turn to shine. He'll be great in four years.
2: You make a fair point there, but I also, as I said, was was kind of pining on before, I think he's, I think even at 19, he's good enough to, not to be a star out there, but to be out there. I I, I think he is, and I think that, that it's going to happen, and I have, yeah, so I had to stick with my prediction from before, so I have him at 28, which is just barely over twenty seven nice. and a half. which again, I, I don't feel lovely about it, but whatever.
1: Yeah, no, I have him at about 20, and honestly, I, I think that's where he's at. He's kind of at that Ennis Cantor, Derek Favors kind of stage of his career, where, you know, 19-year-old rookie, clearly raw, clearly has a lot to grow um so you you know you have to put them out on the floor but you can't play them starter or even six man minutes yeah let, let me, me ask i so i think first of all this jazz team starting lineup is significantly better than their bench uh, and oh, yeah. I, I think where uh, the jazz are one of the shallowest teams in the league in terms of that um I want to ask how many what's your minute per game projection for the starting lineup? Because I think we have the both the same starting lineup, the the core five, if you will, the okay. Trey Burke, Alec Burks. Gordon Hayward, Ennis Cantor, and Derek Favors. I think we both agree on that, right? Yeah. So how many minutes per game do you have for each of those?
2: I have each of them in the 30s except for Cantor. Cantor I have at 28 because I, ju- I just think that there's a little bit of a crowded situation going on in the front court there and that he, if anyone's going to lose some time there, it's going to be him. Um, I have Hayward at 36, which is roughly where he was last year. As I said earlier, our Favors at 34, which is a bit of an upgrade from last year, but I think he's taken a leap this year. I have Burks at 32.5. Everybody knows I love Alec Burks. And I have Trey Burke at 34.
1: I don't know that everyone does know that you love Alec Burks. I love
2: Alec Burks, guys. Uh,
1: you're, you're like nationally renowned for loving Alec Burks. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I, I just want to point that out. So you had how many minutes for Burks, first of all? 32 and a half. Okay, I actually had him at 33, so we're, yeah. we're on the same wavelength there, even though I you love Alec Burks more than I do. True. Um, so uh, I just want to, while we have, we got to go to break really quick. Um, we're going to have Jody Genesey, the Deseret News beat writer for the Utah Jazz. Come on, give his opinion, give, be the tiebreaker on us, uh, for us, for, for some of these, uh, over under projections. We'll also have his ideas on the preseason, kind of the differences between last year's preseason and this year's preseason. You know, I, I think... There's been a lot of differences, obviously, between a 1-7 and seven and the now 5-2 and two Jazz. Uh, I, I want to kind of explore that with the Jazz and now the Dante Exum cut. That's so, the part I'm most excited with for Jody. To or get sorry, that, Dante Jones. Get that feel
2: for the how things have been in the preseason.
1: Agreed. So we'll have him on the other side of the break. This is the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700 Radio.
4: And there's, you know, they've got a lot of young guys. As Derek Favors reminded us today, when somebody asked him, the young guys were uh, picking it up. If they were surprised, he's like, "Which young guys? I'm only 23."
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody on the team is 26 or younger, except for Novak. So, which guys do you
4: mean exactly? <laughs> yeah, I mean they're 24.1 years old. I think is the average age. I mean, it's a really young team, and, and so there's there's still a steep learning curve, and then there's a lot of material they probably still have to go over, and 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 they will over the next few weeks and months, and you know, I'm sure that. This will be a learning season for them. I, I bet there will be new aspects of the offense and wrinkles here and there that that uh, Quinn and Brad Jones and Alex Jensen will be introducing throughout the year.
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's kind of what I'm interested to see. I mean, truthfully, when I watch Jazz preseason offense, I see that flow set a lot, and the, the one that Jody, you and I went through in the Jazz's media training camp, where you know we, we there four guys around the perimeter, and then either Derek Favors or Enes Cantor or whoever the jazz is big is at the time at kind of that opposite low block spot. And, you know, they're running that same sort of actions off of it. And truth be told, defenses are struggling to deal with it right now. I wonder if they are in a regular season game with, you know, with the scouting that comes along with that, if teams will find it easier to stop that during the regular season.
4: Yeah, I think they will. I mean, the intensity will pick up, and and you'll have your better players out there for longer stretches. And I, I heard you guys talking earlier, the Jazz really are a thin team. I mean, I've been impressed, really impressed, uh, extremely impressed with their, with their first five, and even their bench right now, but they just don't have the depth or the experience, or quite frankly, with a lot of teams, the talent. And so that's where teams can, I expect them to exploit the Jazz when they go up against their second unit. Yeah, it's almost like the uh you, you hear about the Pac 12 where you know, BYU or Utah will say well we can compete with uh them at their first unit but when you get to their second and third unit that's where they really struggle and anyway back to basketball i, I think that's where the, the jazz are going to have to really fine tune it and and so guys are going to have to f- stretch out of their comfort zones and, and do better than they ever have before and for them to have any success
1: yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. So oh, while you're in the projection mode, I need you to settle some disagreements between Ben and I, and in particular, awesome.
4: yeah, Judge Judge Jody, <laughs> Judge Jody.
2: How did we not think of that before? I'm so embarrassed right now that we didn't think of that earlier.
4: <laughs> I went as Judge Jody on Halloween once, and I had a meat cleaver and a my black choir robe. Are there <laughs> photos of this?
1: Can we can we like? I'm sure maybe maybe they're used to blackmail you at this point, but.
4: Oh, man, I, I've i had so many embarrassing photos out there. Nobody can blackmail me with anything now,
1: <laughs> So I want to ask you, we've got two in particular that we disagree on. The first one is, uh, and these are from RotoWire, by the way, a fantasy uh, basketball site. So they're not the Bovada ones that you may have seen earlier today, or actually I think you tweeted them earlier today. Uh, Go ahead. But Gordon Hayward assists per game. They projected 4.6 assists per game. Ben said higher, I said lower. What, what do you think Gordon Hayward fits in in next season's offense with, with the changes that Quinn Snyder has made?
4: Uh, it's a good yeah, line, right? To, yeah, that is. That's, that's tough because I really what Gordon did last year was pretty remarkable to have that 16-5-5 and five, five, uh, line. And it, that's a lot of assists for a small forward. I wouldn't be surprised if it did go down just because the ball is going to be moving around the perimeter a lot more. I think you'll see Trey Burke's assist total go up. Dante Exum's gonna get more assists probably than Jazz backup point guards did last year. I think the bigs will get more assists. So, uh, I, I want to say that it's going to go down and could be right around that four point six mark. But yeah, I'll go. I'll go the under. Yeah,
1: Andy did a fist pump earlier. Ne- next time, I won't <laughs> tell you who to choose. I, I knew that you were you were biased beforehand because I, I said the under. Oh, I see what's going on here. Uh, yeah, I, I paid Jody earlier at practice today to, I to take my side.
4: I'm, I'm easily sold. Easily bothered. <laughs> okay, so I'm my... I'm easily sold, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so my second question for you is uh, Dante Exa minutes per game. And in particular, they, they have it at 27 and a half minutes per game. What do
4: you 27, think? Oh, 27 and a half minutes for Dante Exum? Yeah. Oh, I, I would take the under easily on that one. I'm conceding. Wow,
2: de- I'm conceding defeat.
4: Yeah, I just, man, I just don't see any way that Dante plays twenty-seven minutes this year. I would, I would be, especially with you know, you, you have a Ian Clark who can play some uh, backup point guard. You have Alec Burks. I think we saw a set the other night where Gordon Hayward was clearly running some points there. I Boy, with the, how young and inexperienced and raw he is, I just really see him in the, the lower 20s.
2: I can see defeat.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you there, Jody. I just, especially with, uh, the only way I could see him getting over that minute total is if somebody has a season-long or almost season-long injury where, you know, all of a sudden if Trey Burke gets injured, Dante's obviously your starter. Um, if Alec Burks gets injured, I could see him, Dante, moving into the starting lineup there as well.
4: Uh, it,
1: bearing anyway, any of those... He
4: will, get some, uh, he will get some shooting guard minutes as well, you know, because yep. Quinn has kind of talked about and we've seen the, the Burke and Exum... Uh, backcourt duo, I'm not in love with that combo personally, but th- I know they want to try it.
2: It's worth trying after all the success Phoenix has had, and, and other te- Phoenix is not the only team, but they're a good model for it. But the two-guard and especially two-point guard lineups are starting to be more and more in vogue in the league. I can see why they at least want to give it a try, right? Well, and my biggest beef with it,
4: I guess both of those guys have, have proved me wrong so far. I was really concerned about the shooting because mm-hmm. last year, quite frankly, Trey wasn't a good shooter, and Dante was horrible in the summer. And both players, especially Trey, are shooting really well in this preseason. So uh, that that could change things there. I mean, if if you can get those guys to stretch the floor and and not have a defense that just automatically sag off of them, and that could be really an interesting and intriguing backcourt.
2: Yeah, I've been maintaining for a good period of time that while he may not have it right away – Exum's stroke is not broken at all, and that he's going to be a guy who, once he gets his legs under him for the long-term, now this is something a lot of people sometimes don't recognize. Long-distance shooting isn't necessarily just about your arms. In fact, it's not just about your arms. Long-distance shooting is just as much about your legs as it is about your upper body, and legs for a 19-year-old, NBA-ready legs, that's a big thing. He's not there yet. I think when those elements come along, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this guy's stroke that he can't be. Not a knockdown three-point shooter, but certainly a capable one. One where he could play a shooting guard role. Do you do you see down the line that they may even long term try and make that a, a, a maybe even a starting unit eventually?
4: Uh, to your point about the legs, I, not about Dante, but memito Kerr when he agreed to come help, uh, you know, Ennis Cantor as the Jazz ambassador, the first thing he noticed is that Ennis wasn't using his legs mm-hmm. enough. So I mean that that really is how you get the distance and the and the, the length and the uh, on your shot and. Another thing that Dante told me was with his release, it was a little bit too low. So he was, like you said, his shot wasn't completely broken, but they wanted a higher release, and they wanted to keep his extended arm out there longer uh, on that follow through, and just so some slight tweaking and confidence, and and he's shooting better already. I, I think that shows how quick of a learner he is. Um, I think the thing with Dante is he just he needs the ball in his hands. That's where so. He's so explosive and quick, and he really has great court vision and is a good passer. And a, I think he's a, a pretty good dribbler right now, and, and has the capability of being even better with a lot of work on that side. But I, boy, you don't think guess, that the, you don't think that the, is,
2: Oh, sorry, everything the,
4: is changing for me because I didn't see Trey as a top tier point guard. I'll be honest; I, I saw him as a maybe the 10- or 15-point guard range, but he's played so well this preseason. He's, he's just kind of making me wonder if I, I need to reevaluate how what his potential could be, and I don't know. I mean, like you said, that's look at the Phoenix Suns. They, they have two-point guards, basically, and if they're shooting better, why not? I mean, it could be a really interesting backcourt, but, you know, you also have a guy named Alec Birch who's coming onto the scene and, Rodney Hood, you want to find minutes for? So I, I don't know. It's a good position to be in for the Jazz.
1: So we're here alongside, or I guess not alongside, but on the phone, we have Jody Ginnissey of the Deseret News, the Utah Jazz beat writer. Jody, I wanted to ask you about some kind of the news in jazzland yesterday and today, uh, relating to another Dante, Dante Jones, spelled differently. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> were a were you surprised that he was cut? Um, and then b you also mentioned something about Brock modem on, on your Twitter feed today you know what, his jazz future is kind of up in the air uh, have you heard about kind of the fringes of the jazz roster and, and how do you think that'll turn out turn come opening day
4: yeah I was first of, first off I was a little bit surprised that Dante got as many minutes as he did in the preseason he was part of the regular rotation early on and uh, it turns out you know the jazz just wanted to see what he could do and, and I thought he played well in, in stretches but uh he's and i was kind of thinking that the jazz might keep him around after a while just because of his toughness and he's one of those veterans and and i know it became a swear word almost last year but you do want veterans in that experience in the nba if for no other place than in the locker room and in the practice to help the younger guys so a little bit surprised that that uh, they let him go um jack cooley i He's just kind of a big bruiser. Right? He was kind of fun to watch, but those not elbows. shocking that either of those guys didn't end up on the final roster. As far as Brock Boatam, yeah, I mean the Jazz are down to 15 players, so they have a legal roster now. Just has to be between 13 and 15, I believe. The the cutoff date is the 27th. Uh, yeah, it was just it was just kind of weird. You know, I I wanted to talk to Brock about. Uh, getting this far, and, and obviously he's not a secure spot on the roster yet. He doesn't have a guaranteed contract, and who knows what's going to happen between now and next Wednesday. But uh, the Jazz declined my request to talk to him, just kind of making it even a little bit more odd. You, you just don't know what's going to happen with him. and I think eventually he'll end up on the Idaho Stampede roster but uh if he sticks on, you know he he wants to get that guaranteed nBA money and and then get sent down to Idaho, but he's an intriguing player because he can hit from outside, he can play down low he's i think he's got a spot in the nBA in the future
1: okay, so uh I want to ask you something about uh in particular the jazz have about i think eight days left um to extend Ennis Cantor and Alec Burks. Uh, from your insider sources, Jody, what are you hearing on? You know, how likely is it that those kind of deals get done?
4: Yeah, it's really quiet right now. <laughs> I hate to give you that answer, but right now they they just uh, are trying to do everything behind the scenes. My s- prediction is that uh, the Alec Burks will extend and uh, Ennis Cantor won't. That he'll want to play out this season. I mean, and with that new TV deal, that kind of changes everything because. A lot of people are seeing big dollars, but, you know, it's also to gamble because if an injury comes along or if you have a bad year, then you could throw away a lot of money. So the Jazz and Gordon Hayward gambled last year, and and the Jazz lost on that gamble really. They ended up paying more than they would have. But I expect that one of them will extend and and the other will go into the offseason as a restricted free agent. And I think that uh, Alec has the better uh, shot at extending right now
2: does Does everything kind of being quiet on your end does that is that a particular signal of any sort of anything to you or is that just i mean the jazz have been notoriously tight lipped in the past sometimes is that does that signal anything to you or is that kind of in many ways business as usual
4: no but I really it is business as usual i mean <laughs> I joked the other night that uh October eighteenth is my anniversary and I was in l a without my wife this year, and last year I might as well have been without my wife too because we we're headed to our Anniversary dinner, and that's when Derek Favors uh, suddenly decided to sign his extension. So that that came out of the blue as well.
1: So thanks, uh, that, Dennis Lindsay, for not signing him early this season.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at least he he didn't ruin my uh, anniversary that way. The schedule maker just ruined it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think that uh, the Jazz just liked it. I mean they they really tell the agents, please don't talk to uh, to uh, reporters. We want to. Do this behind the scenes. We don't want to try to negotiate through the press and and through the public. So let's keep it quiet.
1: Final question for you, Jody. Season win projection for the Jazz this year. If if you know, what are you betting? What number do you think of wins the Jazz will have next year?
4: And I, I miss your guys' projections, so I'm sure. not we that's, haven't given That's the yet. best
1: part is that it's yeah. coming up next segment. So we're oh, we're awesome. making you go first.
4: <laughs> you know, I I've been. Going back and forth, I thought, you know, they're not going to be as experienced. They're not going to the have uh, a guy like Richard Jefferson to help them out a little bit off the bench or even a starting role, a veteran like that. But, I gosh, they've really impressed me in this preseason. So I'm changing my – I'm solidifying my prediction. The Jazz gave me number 32 for uh, the Carl Malone's number, and, and they pulled that re, that jersey out of retirement for the media training camp. That's what I'm going with number thirty-two. Okay. Thirty-two wins.
1: So they should take off the the banner hanging down at ESA and and put it up for the Jazz's win total this season.
4: Right. That's uh, that's and I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher. I wouldn't be surprised if it's lower. I, I it's kind of a just a really intriguing season.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of variance for the Jazz this year. I, I, it could go either way. Anyway, Jody, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, we'll see you tomorrow night at the game. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good luck with
2: the show. Thanks, Jody. Always a lot of fun to have Jody on. He's, yeah.
1: He's pretty
2: close to my win prediction as well.
1: Uh, I know. I, I, I don't want to reveal it. So that will be next segment um, after the break. But before we go to the break, we've got a couple minutes. I actually just received some breaking news via text message. Not actually, You opened your eyes very widely. But it is quite exciting we have 5 pairs of or 5 pairs of jazz tickets to give away to tomorrow's game. Yes. Yeah, we so here's how we're going to do this. We're going to do a trivia contest. Nice. Um and you'll have to tweet at Andy B Larson, which is my Twitter handle in order to win. So, I don't actually have a trivia question yet cuz like I said I just got the text message saying that we have these tickets. So, here's how this will work. I'll have a question on the other end of the break for you basically how you you have to answer correctly in order to win these tickets if you do then uh, we'll be in contact as far as how to get those tickets out to you
2: And what are we going to we going to do the first first 5 people to to tweet the correct so, answer to yes, you Yes
1: yes 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 Okay so if you're wrong uh, heck you can tweet in again we got five whole pairs we you know we we basically swimming in jazz tickets here in the studio Don't just
2: don't just spam with names though that would just <laughs> that would kind of be cheap if somebody does that we're disqualifying you
1: That's true don't don't cheat be be good people here. Yeah. And and you can win some prizes.
2: This is a cool idea. This is I didn't know we had those. Where did that where did the breaking news come that from? That
1: is actually courtesy Spencer Hall, our editor emeritus is, is how I like to call him. There uh, you go. Founder of, of SaltCityHoops.com. Um let me know that we have those tickets. So we've got those available to give on the show today. Again, the Twitter handle you'll be tweeting at is at Andy B. Larson. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go to break. And, uh, so like I said, on the other side of that, uh, on the other side of the break, we're going to be projecting, giving our official win totals that you'll be able to make Moment fun of, of us truth. for later. Indeed. There's a lot of pressure. Um, and we'll also kind of give our offensive and defensive rankings, you know, where we think the jazz will stand both on both sides of the basketball next season. This is a salt city
0: hoops radio show on ESPN 700 and five, 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 eight, four, eight. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
1: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop show. I'm Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett. So before the break, we told you that we have five pairs of Jazz Suns tickets to give away for tomorrow's game. That's at 7 p.m., by the way. So um, we have the trivia question. And again, if you've missed how this is going to work, basically, you just have to tweet at me, at Andy B. Larson is my Twitter handle. Uh, the correct answer to the, our trivia question. The first five respondents get a pair of tickets, so you can take you, yourself, and uh, a date or... Uh, uh or you know kid whatever yourself twice yourself twice sell the ticket on the street the second ticket and just make some more money Uh, you can do whatever you want with the second ticket i have big arms those seats are kind of thin i would probably use both of them for myself yeah you know if if you're a hefty individual you can use both tickets Uh, although they it's not like the arms move so i don't know how much that helps but (laughs) regardless however you want to use these pairs of tickets your trivia question is... Uh, so you're going to be tweeting me the answer to this trivia question. First five answers, get tickets. Trivia question. Which is the fir- Who was the first head coach in Utah Jazz history? So that's Utah Jazz, not New Orleans Jazz, if you guys want hints slash to avoid potential pitfalls. The first head coach in Utah Jazz history... Go ahead and tweet us in, and we'll be sending you tickets. I'll be contacting you on Twitter to get them to you and blah, 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 blah. You don't care about the details. I will just get those tickets to you. Thanks again to Spencer Hall for the tickets to give out. So the moment of truth has come. I know the answer, by the way. I'm glad. That's because I told you during the break. It was.
2: My first guess was wrong, which is kind of embarrassing. Hooray.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, that's kind of a hint. Your first guess might be wrong. Yeah. Um, So the moment of truth has come. We have to give our Jazz predictions for the the season win total. Ben, uh, and I, I want to give some context for this win total because it's easy to just throw out a number. But I also want to talk about how good the offense and how good the defense will be. So, Ben, uh, let's hear it all
2: from you. Should we do the offense and defense first and make them wait just a little bit longer? Yeah, okay, To fine. give them the actual I numbers? like it. Okay. I like it. Okay. okay.
1: So, offense, go ahead and do offense and defense first, and then I'll go. And
2: now we're going to go by points per 100 possessions, uh, scored and allowed, correct? So, what the league generally refers to these days as offensive rating or defensive rating. Yes.
1: We are in the modern era of NBA analysis. We do by per 100 possessions and not ignoring pace. Because otherwise, the Jazz had a great defense last year. We just also played really, really slow. Like an old man slow. Exactly. The Jazz did not have a good defense last year. They were 29th in the league. Anyway. Wait, I thought they were 30th. Uh, It depends which number you look at. Oh, yeah. Regardless.
2: Okay. So, anyway, we're going to go with offensive rating first. Last year, per NBA.com, the Jazz were 25th in the league in offensive rating, so that would be the 6th worst team or the 5th worst team. This year, I believe, I have them at 19th, which might to some seem just a little bit high, but I think that there is a reason why the Spurs, despite being in some cases arguably less talented than their opponents, continue to run circles around said opponents on the court, and it's because the basketball moves faster than people do. And if we're to believe what Jody's saying about the team picking up that offense quickly and things like that, some of their talent gap, which there will be a talent gap on many nights, is going to be decreased by the simple fact that they're moving the ball really well. And I think the Jazz are going to improve just a little bit. I think the shooters are going to be a little bit better than they were last year. Like the beginning of last year when they had that 2-13 and 13 stretch or whatever, the shooting, particularly the open shooting, was just abjectly terrible, really, really bad. I don't think that's going to continue to the same degree. Uh, we've seen Trey Burke is shooting really well, like Jody said. We've seen Gordon Hayward is shooting well, the ball well so far. And I just think in general they're going to try and maximize the young legs as much as possible. More transition points, more easy points, like I was saying before.
1: So, um, give me those numbers again. Um, 19th. And that's on offense, correct? Offensive
2: rating, 19th. That's where I have
1: them. I also want to point out that for those of you listening, we have three correct answers thus far. Nice. And so, there are still two pairs of tickets out there waiting to be grabbed. If you haven't tweeted in yet, you still have a chance. Um, How about defensive rating?
2: Defensive rating. So I'm going by the NBA.com numbers, which by those the Jazz were unfortunately last last year. Um, it's I think if you use Basketball Reference they were they were 29th, but whatever. Last year 30th. This year I have them moving up to 24th, and okay. that. Um, one of the largest reasons for that is Rudy Gobert and the fact that he's going to play more minutes, and the Jazz are going to have a good, a good, good if not excellent, defensive rating while he's on the court. What they're going to be able to do offensively while he's on the court, we're not 100% sure yet, but he's going to swing that rating a couple of points just by himself, as long as he doesn't get injured, and as long as he can physically catch the ball on offense and, and you know at least pass it and things like that. That... A better and more co- more coherent system. Another year of development for all the guys that are younger. Another year of development for Trey. Another year of development for Favors and Hayward and everybody, pretty much. And I also, as I was saying earlier, I don't think Novak sees the court that much, which would potentially crater this site, this type of a rating if he did.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Um, I actually, so I guess this is the time where I give my projections. Um, I actually have the Jazz being better defensively than that. Okay. And I ha- so I have them being at about 17th defensively, oh, wow. which is a, which is a big jump. Yes. You know, that's that's a large jump for an NBA team to make in one season, especially given that, you know, the projected roster is not all that different. That being said, you take away Richard Jefferson and Marvin Williams, who were defensive minuses last year. I don't think there's any questioning that. Um, you know, you look at the statistics, you look at they're not adding any blocks or steals. They're, uh, the plus minus stats were bad for them defensively. To be fair, Marvin did
2: have to play against fours all the time.
1: But yeah, still. no, I mean, it's, it's nothing against those guys as human beings. But that being said, they were scored on many, many times. And so I look at... You know, the replacement of those guys in the roster with Ennis Cantor, who is also admittedly bad defensively, but also Alec Burks, who you've written about is a, is actually a quite good defender in a lot of different scenarios, and I think that helps the Jazz a lot. I also look at Quinn Snyder's new emphasis on transition defense mm-hmm. and how well that's worked this preseason, and, and it's worked phenomenally well. Like, that, that's been the biggest thing that has changed for the Jazz is they're just not giving up transition points anymore. They're not giving up the fast-break points they were last season. And, I mean, that that's a big thing for a defense, especially defense last year that actually did pretty decently when and when it got its opponents in half-court sets. I also said 17th because last year's Portland Trailblazers got 17th. I actually see a lot of comparisons between that team defensively, not offensively. I think they're in a different stratosphere than the Jazz are offensively. But defensively, I see a lot of comparisons. You know, I see Trey Burke as a similar size point guard to Damian Lillard, um, who does, uh, you know, again, not the same offensive player, but I, th- I see them as kind of having similar struggles defensively. Alec Burks and Wesley Matthews. I think Wesley Matthews is a little bit bigger. Alec Burks is a little bit quicker. Uh, Nicholas Batum and Gordon Hayward, both two guys who have a lot of length at the small forward position. And a and Marcus Aldridge again. You know, maybe Aldridge is probably a better defender. Right? I don't think there's any question. He definitely question. is, but um, but on the
2: on the same side,
1: if you go with but um, then I think Favors is a better center defensively than uh, who do they have right now? How well, many of Chris Kamen, Right?
2: No, it's Brooke Lopez and uh, or sorry, not Brook uh, Robin, who actually did have a really good interior defending numbers last year, but. If you if you kind of think of the Jazz as more of the 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 two guys that are going to do that, you put in Gobert as well. Favors Gobert is definitely better than the two guys that pl- are going to be playing center. For right,
1: fourth. them, yeah, like Myers, Leonard, and and whoever else. Yeah, I, yeah. I, so I, I honestly think that there are some comparisons there between the Jazz and the Trailblazers defensively, and that's why I like that seventeenth spot for them. You know, I don't think they're going to be an a- above average team. And it's going to be hard with how many turnovers they're giving up. But even with how many turnovers they've had this preseason, they've still been a good defensive team in transition. And I think that continues this season. I mean, right now, what are they in preseason stats? Are like third overall in defensive rating? Some, something like that. Yeah, hold on. I can check. if you. Yeah, go ahead and second. pull that up because yeah. I'm curious. But I, I, ju- I see that regressing, but I don't see it regressing all the way to last season. So I think it's gonna be seventeenth defensively. Okay. Now Might on the be a offensive bull, end but I like it. On the offensive end I actually see less of a uh, less of a jump than you do. I, I think they're gonna be around the same offensively. I think they're gonna be in that twenty third, twenty fourth spot um offensively. And you know, I think the Jazz will score more points. I think they will have a much higher pace than last season. But the Philadelphia 76ers will tell you that pace does not necessarily translate no. into scoring a lot That's of points efficiently. That's very true. Um, and okay. when you look at you know, like I said, Richard Jefferson and Marvin Williams, kind of the two guys in the starting lineup that are, are leaving, those guys were good offensively. They added the they were good shooters. Um, you know they, they hit a lot of shots from outside. They did some nice things in terms of setting things up. I, I think we're maybe underrating their offensive loss a little bit. That being said, I think Trey Burke will make a make a leap offensively. you know I think the system will help a lot of things offensively. And so ultimately, it ends up being a little bit of a net positive, but not as much as you think. Fair Thoughts? enough. Am I am I crazy?
2: No, I, I don't think you're entirely crazy. I mean, I think we just we oh, the areas we differ in are how the the actual tangible effect that the changes we think will have, and uh, and that's that it's perfectly reasonable that we would have a wide range there given the variability of this roster and how young they all are. Just to answer your question from before, the Jazz have had the second ranked uh, defense in the preseason thus far. See, that's and really good.
1: The eighth ranked offense. I don't think it's crazy to. Say say that the second ranked defensive team in preseason can become the 17th ranked defensive team in preseason uh, in the regular season. Certainly you not know impossible. like from what we know about this team so far, I think we can use oh, wow, I'm about to be a nerd. Uh, we can use some Bayesian analysis here oh. to use our information from this season plus our information from last season, put it all together and you know, get that the Jazz are going to be an about average defensive team. Fair. Um Okay, so win totals. It's time. Here we are. Rock, paper, scissors for who goes first? Yep. Okay, quick. Rock, paper, scissors. Uh. Okay, it is... You had scissors, I had paper. That means it's me first. I'm with Jody Gennessey on this one. So I did the math, as will surprise nobody. And if the Jazz are in that 17th spot defensively and about 24th offensively, that would mean that they'd lose games by an average of about four points per game. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that actually is a lot on, on an average basis. Mm-hmm. And last last year, the team that lost their games by that margin was a 32-win team. So okay. I'm
2: going with 32 wins. Oh, man, you guys both hit it right on. Well, good, good, good stuff for you. And I cannot believe... The, as I was making this prediction, I was like, people are going to laugh at me for how high I went. And I went lower. And you're than, going lower? I lower than I either like of it you though. two. Um, now, that said, this has come up from where it was uh, a little bit earlier in the summer. This is why I waited this long to do it right now. I have the Jazz at 30, even. Okay. Uh, 30 wins even, which is a five-win improvement from last year. I think that they're going to surprise a few people like Dan was saying when he was on earlier. They're going to win a few games that they shouldn't win just because they're going to even a lot of the skill advantage out with the way they play offensively and the way they get out in transition and the way they defend in transition. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about so far. But then on the opposite end, I think that their inexperience in youth is going to actually cost them a game or two that they might otherwise win. Well, Some late game situations, maybe some crunch time stuff where they don't really know who their go-to guy is or what their go-to sets are, things like that. I think that's going to, every once in a while, no matter how good your coach is, you're going to have little things that creep up like that. Sure. So that's why I didn't want to go quite that high. Now, this that said, I would absolutely not be shocked to see the Jazz go a little bit higher than this. I, I really do think it could be rose colored glasses. I will accept that if my more national friends want to say it to me on Twitter, it might be true, but I really just think that the jazz are going to surprise some people with the way that they can play and the way they can move the ball this year. I don't know that everybody's going to be ready for it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, so if you go with Jody, myself or Ben with this, you should be driving to Windover this second, because I, I mean, the last over under I saw for jazz totals was 24 and a half. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's a big, that's a big difference. You know, where we watch a lot of jazz games and uh, admittedly we're probably jazz homers but uh, ultimately i think that's a big difference and and you could maybe make some money here if you not know. Probably injuries... we
2: we are jazz homers. Just <laughs> just to get it out there, but tw- I I maintain twenty four and a half is too low. the The Lakers and Minnesota are both not going to be good teams. I have the Jazz above both of them. I have the Jazz finishing thirteenth uh, in the Western Conference. I uh, of the Lakers are going to be terrible this yeah. year, guys. Like, do you guys realize how bad the Lakers are going to be? It's going to be insane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Go to Vegas and bet the ender on them or oh, Wendover or whatever. God,
2: they're going to be so bad. But
1: yeah, um.
2: I, I like the Jazz at 30. I think it's a good good round number.
1: I think that's fair. So uh, uh, please don't come to us later if the Jazz, you know, if, if Derek Favors and Gordon Hayward get injured and the Jazz win 15 games, please don't come and, you know, we're not giving out our addresses on this show. Um, good news, though. We have winners. We have all five winners and actually a few more in our contest. So the answer, the first coach in Utah Jazz history was Tom Nasalki. It good was stuff. not, notably, Frank Layden who came in two seasons after Tom Nasalke. So the Jazz moved to Utah in 1979. Uh, Tom Nesalki was installed to coach that same offseason, then uh, was fired two seasons later, and Frank Layden put himself in that uh, spot, if you will, of, of head coach. So not Frank Layden, not Scotty Robertson, who was the first coach in New Orleans Jazz history, but uh, Tom Nesalki, a former radio some analysis for the Utah Jazz.
2: Somebody put Gordy Chiesa, which is great. I love that. I love Gordy Chiesa. He's like my one of my five favorite
1: people in the world. <laughs> but unfortunately was never Jazz coach. Yeah. Jazz assistant coach, sure, not yeah. Jazz head coach. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we'll be contacting you on Twitter. Uh, just reading the names really quick. We've got, uh, let's see, Benjamin Whiteman, Stephen Ritter, uh Bebo, at Spyro oh, no. W-A-O. S-
2: Steven Ritter said to remove himself because oh. he can't make the game.
1: Sorry. So Mr. Comma at jonathan three seven zero nine seven and uh, Jamin Winnegar, I think, are our winners. Rizzo Kizzo, you may get it. It sounds like if Steven Ritter does not uh, get tickets. So you guys are our winners. We'll be contacting you with how to get your jazz tickets um, during the break or after the show, more likely. Anyway, we do have to take a break. We'll be going into our final segment on the other side.
0: This is the Salt City Hoops radio show on ESPN 700. Talking Hoops and the Association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We are indeed Talking
1: Hoops in the Association. I'm Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett. We are writers for Salt City Hoops. That's the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Check us out at saltcityhoops.com. Basically, we've got awesome articles every day going in-depth in, in depth on what's going on in Utah Jazzland. So we've got news, we've got uh, some statistical analysis, we do some X's and O's today. We've got some highlights of Dante Exum's preseason, if you're a highlight kind of guy. Um, we've been counting down the players, uh, our yearly feature called Jazz Rank. Um, so Dante Exum was our player today, number 7 um so you can read kind of our player profiles on that we like to have fun with it we've got a tremendous team of writers um behind the site so if you haven't checked out salt city hoops yet go ahead and do so you really need to it yeah I, i mean we're again we're biased we're you know we we run the site but that being said i've heard some good things from other people too like salt city hoops is is a good thing um we're also the only credentialed utah jazz blog out there so that's another fun um differentiator for us if you will um basically that allows us to go to games get player quotes and etc um and use those in our analysis so you know we get the player side of things as well as you know going into the numbers in the video so that that's um check it out if you haven't already saltcityhoops.com um or or actually i'll have an article on espn.com here shortly so that'll be good for that yeah um So we've got an exciting schedule for the Utah Jazz coming up. Of course, we've got the Utah Jazz taking on the Phoenix Suns tomorrow. That's at 7 o'clock at Energy Solutions Arena at home. We just gave away five pairs of tickets to our trivia question. Who was the first Utah Jazz coach in Utah Utah Jazz history? That was? Tom Nasalke. That's correct. Um, So the first five winners for that will get tickets. Um, If you haven't gotten tickets, tickets are still available, I understand, so check out the Jazz. And uh, in particular, this Jazz Suns game I think will be exciting just because of the Jazz. The Jazz are almost trying to be the new Suns, you know, they're doing this pace and space thing and it'll be interesting to see if the Jazz's transition defense can work against the the high running Phoenix Suns.
2: Everybody for both teams is is scheduled to be playing or do you know of any notable uh, For additions? the last
1: preseason game that's going to be the case as okay. they, they you know they want to get their rotations up and running uh, before the first regular season game comes next Wednesday.
2: So of course I can't watch live which is awesome. But uh, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be a fun time. And then Phoenix is one of the first teams on the Jazz's schedule in the regular season as well. And yeah, like you're saying, they're kind of trying to. Kind of trying to emulate Phoenix in a lot of ways. Like Dan was saying, like Jody was saying, like pretty much everybody's been saying, this this doesn't appear to be a team that's cool with the Philly route. They they are, the, the Jazz want to get started. They don't expect to win the championship this year or anything like that, but they want to get started on the path back to that sort of a thing this year. Yeah. And I, I think Phoenix is a real good model to follow from last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, they won 48 games last year. Obviously, we think they'll win less than that. But I think that's the ceiling for this year's Jazz. You know, if if everything goes crazy, I think that's that's the model. That's the ceiling.
2: Uh, yeah, a really, really high ceiling. But yes, yeah, no, it's absolutely there. And, well, so do we want to talk about also just a little bit about their, their actual first regular season games? Once yeah,
1: they get so into let's, them? let's go into that. So the Jazz's first six games are, quite frankly, a nightmare. They're very hard. Um, they take on the Houston Rockets at home, then Dallas Mavericks away, then uh, Phoenix, again, at home, like you referenced, then uh, at the Clippers, then LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers come to town Wednesday, November 5th, uh, and then taking on the Dallas Mavericks again, this time at home on Friday, November 7th, before going on a five-game road trip, uh, taking on some of the Eastern Conference's you know, mediocre teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but that first six games, how, how well do you think they'll do Ben, uh, it's going to
2: be tough to do better than one and
1: five, which I guess
2: isn't good for our slightly high win predictions for the season. But I mean, those are that's that's five playoff teams plus the Cleveland Cavaliers, who we know they weren't a playoff team last year. They well, just, neither was Phoenix
1: to be fair. But oh, again, yeah, okay, but yeah, very much. difficult.
2: Yeah, f- all of them are very very difficult playoff caliber teams at the very least. uh I do like the, the. I think the Jazz should have a chance in that home game against Phoenix. I think a lot of people are picking Phoenix for a small regression this year, which wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, um, they could. Have have a chance in the home game against Dallas I mean who knows they could even have put up a real nice fight against that Houston a Houston team that with a coach who I've kind of been critical of in the past may not be ready for what the Jazz are doing hmm. you never know if that's possible get out to a big lead see if it can hold it that type of a thing I wouldn't predict that though I wouldn't I expect the Jazz at like somewhere around one and five
1: no I, I think that's fair I, I think you know I like you, I think some regression is to be expected out of Phoenix, but I think they're still above uh, ahead of where the jazz are, so oh, absolutely you know given that the jazz are at home, they might you know I think that game's about a push um you know and if that. It still might be favoring Phoenix a little, but yeah. I
2: would say that's one of the ones the Jazz have a better chance to win out of that grouping of games.
1: But, you know, you hope the Jazz get lucky in one of the other five games. The other game I want to talk about there is obviously the the big one. The only time LeBron, James, Kevin Love, and the Cleveland Cavaliers will come to uh, Energy Solutions Arena next Wednesday. Or, or Sorry, two Wednesdays from now on November 5th. Um, uh, the Jazz and LeBron James, for whatever reason, and in Energy Solutions Arena, have had some spectacular games. Really I mean, is. literally amongst, out of the top 10 games I've seen at Energy Solutions Arena, I think three or four of them are against LeBron James. Sundiata Games! Yeah, so and that's honestly number either number one or number two in my top 10 that I just made up just now. Any, is anytime that Sundiata Gaines shot. Anytime I say
2: Utah Jazz around my brother, that's the first calling card that he's got is that he was, <laughs> at, he was at that game, which I wasn't, so good job.
1: Dan. I, I was also at that game, and it, it, it was remarkable. I mean, first of all, that game, it's not just a Sundiata Gaines shot. It's the whole thing. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, the Darren Williams coming out, then Ronnie Price coming in, and then Sundiata games coming in. It was crazy. Th- then, uh, the season before that, though, then... Um, the Millsap game, wasn't it? Or was that the season that after? That was actually away at Miami. But, oh, yeah, yeah right, th- again, yeah. another incredible game. Um, so, the season before that, then, was the Darren last-second w- layup winning the oh, game. Yeah. Kind of Darren giving high-five to the stands. Yeah. So, uh, uh, the moral of the story here... Uh, oh, and then, before that, uh, somehow, Gordon Girichek guarding LeBron James in the fourth quarter in 2006-07... <laughs> Gave the Jazz a 99-98 victory. Uh-oh. My point is, there are some incredible games between the Jazz and the Cavaliers. If you haven't gotten tickets already, uh, check it out. I got my
2: tickets a month ago, guys. It's
1: it's going to be exciting. Like you, I don't think the Jazz will be particularly successful in this game. And I uh, this will be the interesting stretch um, for the Jazz to see if they can actually keep this high... high p- well-performing preseason up during those first six games. But, hey, Cleveland's still figuring stuff out, too. They still have guys that haven't played a whole lot of time together
2: before. They might—the um, talent gap is massive, but we'll That's
1: see. That's fair. Yeah. No, I, so I'm going to say the Jazz go 2-4. and four. Nice. They win the Suns game and the LeBron game because, well, they always have. Somehow they've found a way to make these LeBron games entertaining. Anyway, that'll do it for us. Thanks again for joining us on the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm alongside Ben Dowsett. Thanks again for listening. Again, the Salt City Hoops radio show on ESPN 700.